It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. 151 is the time here in the KSL newsroom. Very grateful to you for being a part of today's program. We're standing by waiting to receive a video message, either live or recorded. Honestly, we, we don't know very much. What we do know, though, is that it is anticipated that President Donald Trump will deliver farewell remarks. Farewell remarks. Uh, again, either in video form uh, or live, with a very small exception. I believe there was an instance last week where he addressed reporters in a live setting as he boarded or disembarked Marine One. Uh, I, I don't remember if he was getting on or getting off, but uh, that's been it since January 6th that we have heard live from the president. Uh, and so with that, not sure exactly if we will hear live from the president as he delivers these anticipated farewell remarks here today, or if it similar to the message delivered by First Lady Melania Trump just yesterday will be, uh, say, a video uploaded to the White House YouTube channel, one of the few remaining social media outlets available to the president. Regardless of all that, whatever the case, as soon as those remarks are available to us, either live or recorded, uh, you can count on hearing them here on Live Mike. In the meantime, though, let's talk about uh, something kind of trivial, but absolutely fascinating. Uh, Trivial in that, uh, you know, not to diminish its importance, but trivial in that it focuses on some uh, some interesting little trivia and some interesting little details, stuff that you might not otherwise know. But if you bring it to the water cooler at work or to the kitchen table at night at home, you're going to sound pretty smart. Let's start with the nuclear football. The nuclear football. If you are a careful observer of the the president's movements, if you watch him uh, move either to or from the Marine One helicopter or as he moves around anywhere, if you pay close attention, maybe in the corner of the screen uh, or off to the right, you will see that uh, very nearby will be someone typically in military uniform uh, carrying a big black suitcase. That is the nuclear football. What exactly is inside is uh, a little a little shrouded in that it has to do with the launching of nuclear weapons and all. That makes sense. But uh, in that nuclear football or in that case that is carried nearby, uh, it, it allows the president to, in conjunction with some codes they are issued each day and something called the biscuit, which goes into their pocket, a biscuit because it's a, uh, it is a set of codes that is enshrouded in a plastic case. That plastic case, uh, you know, or those codes, if needed, will be broken out of that biscuit or that plastic case. Uh, anyway, so that's that. Now, it is the sole responsibility of the president to launch nuclear weapons. We only have one president at a time. History 
for the most part, for the most part, with what did we learn from uh, Stephen Stoddard earlier in the program that only three times in American history has the outgoing president refused to attend the inauguration of uh, his successor? And those three instances, what, uh, John Adams, uh, his son, John Quincy Adams, and I think there was someone in between there. Yeah, I don't think they had nuclear footballs to deal with back then. Anyway, so how, if we now know that President Trump will not be in attendance at tomorrow's inauguration, how does that handoff happen? How does the handoff happen? Well, here's how it goes. Turns out (laughs) there are more than one nuclear footballs. Yeah, there are, in fact, uh, three or four identical, quote, footballs. One follows the president. One follows the vice president. And then one is uh, traditionally set aside for the designated survivor in events like inaugurations and State of the Union addresses. That's a fascinating concept that uh, each time I hear of it, uh, it's always neat to you know think about what that person's experience was. Uh, on the day of the State of the Union or uh, whatever instance where say the cabinet is assembled or a joint session of Congress is brought together where the president addresses uh, the body. It designated survivor, I- I'm sure you know, you've seen the TV show. <laughs> it is. It's one member of the line of succession to the presidency uh, who is asked to you know be physically separated from the rest of the cabinet in a uh, important high profile gathering why well in the event of say the absolute worst case scenario and some event were to uh, you know so significantly disrupt the chain of command uh, then you know you need to have someone uh, who you know exists congressionally, or rather uh, constitutionally, within that chain, but uh, is you know, spared uh, whatever disaster may befall the rest. So that's chain of command. There is, uh, there, that's designated survivor, and there is a, a nuclear football that is set aside for, for that individual, should it become necessary. On January 20th, at noon, the nuclear football, actually not noon, 11.59 and 59 seconds Eastern Standard Time on January 20th, the nuclear football, which is traveling with President Trump, will deactivate. There, He will no longer have the power to use that device. And at that exact same moment, or rather one second later, as soon as President Trump loses the authority so too does the nuclear football that he's carrying around with him and the one that travels with incoming uh, Joe Biden. Utah it instantly takes effect. So it's not something that has to be physically handed off. And so the phrasing of a handing off of the nuclear football, uh, it's a little misleading. And I'm sorry the explanation wasn't more exciting. Uh, the other thing I'd like to share with you. Oh, first, you know what? Listen to this. Uh, there was a, a documentary along these lines, not too long ago. And during that documentary, there were a few individuals who had a much closer vantage point than I have ever had to the nuclear football, specifically uh, President Clinton's first chief of staff, uh, a gentleman named Thomas McClarity. Uh, he spoke about the, the, the significance of this handoff. When the football is passed from one administration to another, it underscores that the sacred responsibility of any president is commander-in-chief. 
to protect the security of the American people. Yeah. And you heard the way you phrased that, too, as it's passed from one administration to the next. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be an exact handoff from one president to the next, as we've just uh, been through there. Uh, to have about a minute left, I want to hear or I want you to hear from Dick Cheney here uh, talking about the very same topic. The passing of the football occurs at high noon. Nobody says a word, but I knew what to look for. And uh, so you got the ceremony going down front, but up behind, uh, sort of behind one of the big pillars there on the front, these two guys are standing there in their uniform, and at the right moment, he reaches over and hands it to uh, the newly designated military aide. Uh, Dick Cheney's uh, unique vantage point to share that information came uh, because, well, first off, you know, he's got proximity throughout history, but uh, his first proximity to that exchange was as he served as Gerald Ford's second chief of staff. I I had forgotten that. Uh, until today. Uh, anyway, fascinating stuff. That's the transition and transfer of the football. It'll happen today, or I'm sorry, it'll happen tomorrow in the background, uh, but I rest assured that it will happen smoothly and seamlessly and there will be no interruption. We're going to take a quick break, and the expectation is that just when we return that we will have access to that farewell address from President Trump. As soon as it's available, we'll air it here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.